Hello and welcome back to the Northern Agenda podcast, your weekly dose of politics stories from outside the Westminster bubble. I'm Rob Parsons, Northern Agenda editor for Reach, the publisher of the Manchester Evening News and Newcastle Chronicle, and I'm bringing you more discussion and analysis of the North's big political stories from people experiencing them on the ground. This week, we'll be taking a look at the North's second big by-election in December to elect a new MP. After Labour romped to victory in the city of Chester, can they do the same in the Greater Manchester constituency of Stretford and Elmston? I've been speaking to local democracy reporter Nick Jackson about what's happening there. But first, when you hear the government talking about their much-trumpeted concept of levelling up and its benefits to northern communities, it's a pretty safe bet they will be looking at Teesside. That's places like Redcar, Middlesbrough and Stockton-on-Tees. One of the few areas with anything tangible to show from the government's flagship domestic agenda, this former industrial area now has a gaggle of Tory MPs, where Labour politicians used to be, and a Conservative Metro Mayor hoping to replace the old steelmaking jobs with those powered by clean energy. It's also, based on what I've seen reported in the area, got perhaps the most partisan political culture in the north of England. But... Are the prospects for Teesside getting any better with all the attention it's had lavished on it by government? Let's ask Carl Pemberton, the Managing Director of Active Chartered Financial Planners based in Stockton-on-Tees and the Chair of the Institute of Directors in the North East, the South Division. So he looks after business interests in the Tees Valley and is a great person to give us a balanced view on what's going on there. So Carl, welcome to the podcast. Hi Rob, how are you? Very good. I'm very good. It's very good to uh, to speak to you today. So you obviously you speak to businesses and directors of businesses all the time. In terms of the cost of living crisis we're going through, the energy crisis and the impact that's having on businesses, is that starting to really be felt on Teesside at the moment? Yeah, I think you were right in your comment about politically being partisan. I think society is quite uh, split and divided in in our area as well. Um, you know, it's we're often referenced as being a very poor area, and uh, with lots of people in society that are, are below the poverty line. But yet, in business, you see lots of optimism and a wave of optimism that I've personally never experienced in my time in the business community over the last 25 years. So you do have a complete divide in terms of that that optimism of what we think might be coming, uh, the feeling of, of how we're doing at the moment. And I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I do think it's nice that in certainly the business world, we are seen in our Teesside area as um, or we are spoken about nationally in a positive sense rather than just always a negative sense which has uh, invariably always been the case in the past yeah so when you talk about the enthusiasm uh, wave of optimism for things that are coming just just tell us about some of the things that you and your business community in in Teesside are, are feeling optimistic about so I think that there are the big projects that I think everybody's aware of uh, and and these political pro- projects were announced a good few years ago now in terms of treasury jobs which have actually transformed into local government jobs coming to an economic campus in Darlington and uh, hopefully that is going to bring more employment opportunities not only to local people but hopefully it'll get people relocating to our area uh, from other parts of the country which again historically never normally happens Uh, so that has to be a good thing. There is also the Tees port which is the uh, free port project 
which is one of the largest brownfield development sites in Europe on the site of the old British Steel uh, site, which is going through its transformation at the moment. And hopefully, again, glass half full, hopefully it brings lots of new jobs, modern jobs, uh, future-proof jobs um, that will hopefully revolutionise Teesside and, you know... Uh, Let's hope it gives us a, a, a reputation that can be built on for the next 20 to 50 years, like shipbuilding, like steel um, manufacturing has been for the previous 50. Like we're saying, you, you talk to businesses all the time. I mean, you, you've spoken about the great opportunities that Teesside has, but also the, you know, the concerns about things that are currently happening. I mean, what are the big concerns businesses are telling you about, sort of the big things that they would like to see addressed, I guess, both nationally and also locally, sort of at, at Teesside level? There is quite clearly, and I think this is a national issue rather than just a Teesside issue, but I think the feeling might be felt greater in the coming years. And that is around um, skills and actually where are we going to get these people from? A stat that I saw uh, in the last week or two, I think it was from November, said that there are currently one and a quarter million vacancies currently in the UK and, and, and they are unfilled. And I think it's brilliant that there are projects coming to Teesside that are going to give opportunity for thousands of more jobs. And, you know, let's hope that they all do come. But there is a concern as to where are those people going to come from. I think there are certainly people within the business community that fear that their staff may be attracted to some of these big, um, shiny projects because the packages may be better than the normal SME can afford. And uh, ultimately, if jobs are simply shifted from one sector or one employment sector to another, that isn't necessarily a good thing. These extra jobs need to be extra, not just people moving. Yeah. So there's a big job of work to do, isn't there, in Teesside particularly, to get the local population skilled up to do these new jobs. I mean, is, is that is, is that happening? Are, are the wheels in motion to sort of make that happen, from what you can tell? There is certainly a desire to do it. I think, again, nationally, there is an issue where... And I think, you know, this isn't anybody's fault, if I'm being, again, optimistic about it. I think we've got a bit of an issue post-COVID where we had lots of skilled people suddenly leave the employment arena. Uh, they retired early. Uh, we've probably all read and heard things about the, you know, the great um, resignation where people want an easier life. They're not prepared to put up with the the, the hassle of working and you know, there are a lot of really good people who, who aren't working. So we need those people to get back into the jobs arena. We need them to be reskilled, ultimately, because I don't want people coming to my business and other businesses around and trying to take my staff. So, um, you know, it's, it, it is a case of working with institutions like the IOD, working with the colleges, the universities, and uh, putting that support and and mechanisms in place to try and attract some people to upskill and hopefully, um, you know, take some of those jobs that are on offer. We hear, or I sort of write quite a lot about, uh, you know, the attention that Teesside gets and how it, it's, uh, you know, seen as one of the places where levelling up is actually happening. I mean, are there lessons, do you think, that other areas in the north, perhaps areas that don't have conservative mayors, could take from Teesside and its mayor? 
Ben Houchen, do you think? Or, or is it quite a specific sort of individual situation in, in Teesside that's going on at the moment? I think from memory, Ben was one of the first uh, Metro mayors to be elected, I think, from memory, back in 2017. So I think the fact that he, ha- he didn't necessarily have um, a predecessor, there wasn't necessarily a blueprint for him to follow, I do think that helped in terms of um, he had a bit of a blank canvas to start from. Um, Although it was pretty horrible at the time uh, for lots of people in the community, the fact that uh, the British Steel site closed, I think it was 2015, and again, it gave, it doesn't, it probably doesn't feel like it for some, but it gave an opportunity to completely regenerate that area. I think, obviously, if British Steel was still manufacturing and was still going well, uh, it, it would have been harder for Ben to, to make that impact. The same with the uh, the airport, which, um, you know, again, we, we all hope uh, uh, continues to succeed uh, as it appears to be. So I think it's as much a fact that he was one of the first to be in position. I think it's as much a bit of, I say good luck, it's not, I don't mean in good luck as in uh, British Steel closing, but it's good luck that he had some projects that he could probably get his teeth into pretty quickly to try and transform things around. And he's been pretty brave in some of his ideas that probably more political people may not have been able to do. I've got to ask you about the um, the B word that uh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm hearing a bit more in recent weeks uh, after a long hiatus of not hearing it that much. Brexit, uh, obviously, Teesside and the North East voted heavily for Brexit. And, you know, the Freeport, the, the Teesport that you've mentioned is cited as one of the benefits of leaving the EU, although there are some that say that you could do three ports before we left the European Union. But leaving leaving that aside, uh, sort of Brexit and the Tees Valley are kind of closely associated with each other. Do, do you think people still in on Teesside, whether it's businesses or you know the population at large, still think that Brexit is working for Teesside? Or given you know some of the problems that we've seen it cause, sort of nationally uh, and internationally, is are people perhaps turning against it a bit now? It's a political hot potato, isn't it? I don't know where to go with that. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a hard question. You, you are right in that Teesside was, on the whole, predominantly Brexit. I think that is the reason why it turned very blue in the last election, um, on the back of that. So it's quite clear people wanted it. There's another debate and an argument to say, did they understand it? Did they understand the consequences of it? And are we feeling benefit of it directly or indirectly i don't know i don't think we'll ever really really know for many more years to come i think if it wasn't for brexit would free ports have been discussed in the first place would the opportunity of a free port and then the inward investment come into teesside would that have happened again we don't know we're hypothesizing aren't we so you may say has the brexit vote created that opportunity if again, if I'm thinking glass half full, maybe so. Um, or would it have happened in the first place? You know, we, we genuinely don't know. I think a lot of people are probably accepting that they didn't realise what Brexit meant or the consequences of Brexit. 
And again, I think going back to a comment I made before about um, jobs and skills, we are all, I believe, one of the big catalysts of this, um, you know, great number of jobs that are available is as an as as of an impact of, of Brexit in terms of we don't have those overseas labour forces here anymore. And I think it's impacting businesses, whether directly or indirectly. And, you know, it's probably impacting our public uh, services as well as we're seeing at the moment. Now, I just thought, uh, finally, Carl, I'd ask you a bit about your uh, personal story, because I know, obviously, you're doing well in business, but of late, you've started re-evaluating the way that you live your life and your work-life balance, so I hear. Can you just tell us a bit about that? Maybe there's a, 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 an inspiration or a lesson for, for other, other business people from what you're doing. Yeah, my, um, I, I don't think I'm too untypical of a, of a, of a business owner. In terms of I would work long hours, I would be all things to all people, I would um, put myself last in the pecking order of uh, I would give everything to anybody else if they needed me, a bit of my time, you give it because that ultimately I believe is the right thing to do, whether it's volunteering for charities, whether it's speaking at universities, whether it's supporting your staff, trying to recruit more staff, whether it's helping clients, etc. You give it your all. Um, 12 months ago, just over 12 months ago, I was poorly with um, a suspected stroke, brain bleed. And again, I can think whatever in terms of what caused it. You know, a lot of people associate strokes with stress, uh, which it could have been. Um, some friends I've got who are conspiracy theories start going down the vaccine route, but I'm not one of those, so I, I sort of stop those conversations. But I'll never know. Ultimately, I'll never know. What it made me realise, certainly this year, was don't put off until tomorrow something that can be done today because we might not get tomorrow. I feel very, very lucky that I am still able to do the mass majority of things that I uh, could do before a lot of people aren't that lucky after they've been pooling uh, to the to the extent that I was and I think it's it's just made me realize what's important in life and uh, two sort of very twee and very um, uh, airy fairy type of uh, rose tinted glasses comments that I've learned this year is um, one was very much you know the first part of my recovery from being pooly was uh, I, I used to really beat myself up about the things I could no longer do, um, although I accepted I was probably at 80%. And uh, uh, speaking to uh, a wonderful person who many people know, I uh, she convinced me that I should be grateful for the 80% that I could still do rather than worrying about the 20 that I could no longer do. So that was a big change in mindset. And um, again, I was taught something along the lines of don't do anything you didn't want to do or you wouldn't like to do. Um, only do things you want to do um, or love to do. You don't do anything that you think you have to, should do and, and such like because you'll always resent it and regret it. So things only now go in my diary if I want to do it or if I'd like to do it. And that's a big change. Well, I'm glad uh, talking to the Northern Agenda podcast managed to make it into your diary, given that you're being uh, being picky about the stuff that you do. Now, well, that's really interesting. Uh, I think a lot of people could take a lot from that, and you know, it's interesting that it's you know it's taken a, a sort of a traumatic life experience for you to change your ways. And uh, I guess a lot of people will be uh, might 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 take some inspiration from it. So, um, Carl Pemberton, thank you so much for talking to us today. No problem. Thank you, Rob. 
It was back on the 5th of July 1948 that Trafford General Hospital in Greater Manchester was officially opened by Anurin Bevan as the first NHS hospital. Ever since then, it's held a special place in British history as the so-called birthplace of the NHS. And this week, the Trafford area, specifically the Stretford and Ermston parliamentary constituency, is back in the political spotlight again as locals choose their next MP in the second Northern parliamentary by-election of the festive season. All the signs point to a comfortable hold by Labour, but two weeks after the residents of Cheshire handed the Conservatives their biggest local loss since the 19th century in the City of Chester by-election, can we expect Keir Starmer's party to increase its vote share again this time? Let's find out what's going on by speaking to Nick Jackson, a local democracy reporter who covers Trafford and will be at the by-election count this Thursday night. Uh, Nick, it's nice to have you on. Thank you. Good to have you. So maybe for people who aren't familiar with the background, can you just take us through why this by-election is taking place at all? What's the, what's the background to us? Well, it's been prompted by the stepping down of the sitting MP, uh, Kate Green, who is now going to replace Baroness Beverly Hughes as Greater Manchester's Deputy Mayor for Policing, Crime, Criminal Justice and Fire under the Metro Mayor Andy Burnham. So obviously that's going to leave, that's leaving a vacancy uh, for for a new MP. What's the sort of party political situation in Stratford and Ermston? I mean, obviously in the city of Chester, it was quite a big, uh, I think it was a 6,000 majority that Labour were defending. Is it similar similar territory here? Well, at the last general election, according to my information, Kate Green won it with twice the the amount of votes as a nearest rival of Conservative in 2019. So you'd expect you'd expect it to be a comfortable hold. Also, bearing in mind the fact that Sir Keir Starmer is riding very high in the polls, and also if you look at the constitution of the uh, Trafford Council, which the area is mainly uh, in that constituency. Labour's got 40 councillors to the Conservatives, 13. The Liberal Democrats have five and the Green Party have four. If there was to be a Conservative win uh, in that constituency, you'd have to say it would probably be a major shock electoral. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone's really uh, expecting that, are they? I mean, in terms of, obviously, you you report quite a lot on the local politics of Trafford and Greater Manchester, like Stretford and Ermston, what what kind of what kind of area is it? Like, how would you sort of describe it as a as an area? Well, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a microcosm of the UK. You've got you've got areas of high deprivation, but you've also got quite middle class areas. So it's quite it's quite an interesting mix uh, in many ways. The, the, the issues that tend to be t- spoken about are similar to the ones that you hear nationally. For example, uh, the Labour, the controlling Labour council are always complaining about the lack of funding from central government, like many councils, including many Conservative councils, in fact. And in, in Trafford, there is um, a £26 million shortfall in their finances at the moment, which is going to have to be mitigated by probably recruitment freezes, uh, cuts to school services and, and many other things, which, of course, Labour are making a big uh, deal out of because, of course, the, the worry from Labour's point of view is that they'll get blamed for these these uh, services short, shortcomings when, in fact, they're pointing the finger directly at central government. And, of course, the Labour candidate is 
Andrew Weston, who is the current Trafford Council leader, who has got his finger on the pulse, shall we say, of everything that's going on in in the Trafford area, uh, Stratford and Urmston particularly. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess when there's a by-election, the debate is always about who is to blame for the area's problems. I was looking at some of the uh, candidates, uh, their little videos that they'd done, and uh, yeah, Andrew Weston was uh, wholeheartedly blaming the Conservatives for all the problems that, that the local area has, whereas the local Tory candidate was saying, you know, that people are tired of Labour, it's time for time for a change. So I guess they're all trying to sort of portray themselves as the change candidates, aren't they? Which I guess is what you do in, in, in a by-election. I mean, can you tell me about some of the other contenders as well for the for the seat? Of course, yeah. Well, obviously the Conservative candidate uh, will be the, is likely to be the closest uh, rival to Andrew Weston. Her name is Emily Carter Candola, who's 29, studied in Salford, lives in Manchester, and she's basically campaigning on protecting local greenbelt, ensuring residents are helped through the cost of living crisis and championing local businesses. And it's interesting you mentioned Trafford General Hospital in your introduction because the uh, Liberal Democrat candidate is a senior mental health doctor at Trafford General Hospital. She joined the party in 2016 having been inspired by uh, Norman Lamb's campaign for equality of care between mental and physical health and, be- and a better care system. And also, interestingly, there is there is an interesting element from the Green Party. The Green Party have four councillors on the Trafford Council, and their leader is one D- Dan Jerome, who is standing for the Green Party. So he wants... Um, Safer roads, potholes. I mean, it sounds petty potholes, but they always create a lot of local, a bit like the bins, they always create a lot of anxiety, shall we say. Uh, Anti litter, better town centre, and as you'd expect from the Greens, support for low energy properties, particularly housing, etc. So, yeah, it's going to be quite interesting to see. I mean, we all expect probably Labour to win, but it's, it's a question of how. The rest of it plays out on the night or on the day, should we say. say. Yeah, absolutely. And is there one sort of burning issue above all the others that could be uh, decisive in the campaign? Going on about sort of finance is always a bit dry. But that that £26 million hole in the finance is the main one. But there's also another one that's quite interesting. Now, Altrincham General Hospital is not in the Stretford and Urmston constituency. However, lots of people from that constituency go there. And what happened was, towards the back end of 2021, they closed the minor injuries unit there. And that was the place where people from Trafford and Stretford and other, other areas elsewhere went if they had a minor minor sprain or breakage. And they closed they closed this minor injuries unit because of the pandemic because they couldn't recruit enough nurses and the nurses were being diverted to Withenshaw and Trafford General and with with people being asked to go there. Now, we all know that going to an A&E at those hospitals, you would like to be waiting significantly longer times than you would be if you'd have been going to a smaller unit at Altrincham. And now the fear is among many people, um, and this has been voiced at council meetings, is that there is a, a sort of an agenda, hidden agenda to eventually close Altrincham Hospital and sort of 
even out the, to sort of even even out the healthcare across uh, Trafford because we know that the the Labour Party has a, has an agenda for equ- equality in health. So there's this because we all know that Altrincham is a slightly more, more well-to-do area than other areas of Stretford and Ermston. And there's a fear that it it might be sacrificed in the name of equality. So that that is raging under the under. And interestingly, we have a conservative uh, chair of the Scru- health scrutiny committee in Trafford who is actually campaigning to to keep Altrincham Hospital open. Oh, that is an interesting little sub subplot, isn't it? Um, Nick, t- can you tell me this? Is, is, I mean, obviously, you're you're following local politics in. In Trafford, is is it obviously at the time of year we're at, you know, being cold and people are thinking about Christmas and so forth. Are, are people actually, is, is the by-election the big political story in town or are people just sort of going about their business and it's not really, not really on their radar too much from what, from the, from the, from, from what you can tell? I'll be honest, I haven't actually been out asking people, but I would suspect that, yes, it is because there's all this industrial unrest at the moment and I would, it's, it's all across the news and we all know that when people are unhappy, like winter of discontent, if we go back to the late seventies, we all, well, those of us who are old enough will remember, uh, it effectively brought down the Labour government in the late seventies when uh, and allowed Margaret Thatcher to get in because of there was a just a raft of, of strikes. This is slightly different. We've now got a clearly got a Conservative government, but there's all this angst. But uh, but there does appear to be, unlike the late seventies, there does appear to be an element of sympathy on the part of the general public for the railway workers, the nurses, the postal workers. There doesn't seem to be the anger that they, there was uh, when I was a young a young lad. The last time this there was there was soaring inflation, rising energy prices. You know, th- there doesn't seem to be that level of political angst about the unions because that narrative about the unions being militant has sort of has gone away over a long period of time yeah that's no that's really interesting so nick you're you're going to are you going to follow the uh the by-election count through the night yes i'm going there i've got a colleague i've got another colleague there as well from the men manchester evening news and we've got uh, a, a snapper there as well photographer and we're going to going to see what's going on it's quite i always get a bit excited by election counts <laughs> election counts it's yeah it's 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 not often that you you know you get to stay up all night uh no. in, the, in the pursuit of journalism have you got any snacks snacks up your sleeve what's your, your sustenance plan for the evening must have a few pork pies <laughs> that is a good that is a good option got your carbohydrates and your protein <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in your pork pie haven't you well fantastic stuff um well good luck for the by-election count uh tonight and you should follow uh, Nick and look out for his his reports of the uh, the by-election. Um, Nick Jackson, local democracy reporter. Thank you. Thank you.